This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1980s Prom Night, directed by Paul Lynch. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. I have a big life update. <laughs> yeah. I had my baby. He had a baby. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, B's got like the biggest life update, yes. I feel like. Yeah. So at like 39 weeks exactly, my water broke and I went into labor and a mere 18 hours later, I met my son. Um, so his name is Liam Ross and he's healthy and we're happy and God, it's been two weeks already. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's going good. We're, yeah, adjusting to different life, but it's awesome. Yeah, what a badass that my best friend is. That she had her baby, now she's back to podcasts already. Yeah, because I didn't even take, well, I did take a break. Yeah. Because we had those double episodes. But... Yeah, but like barely. Yeah, barely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I got to be there. I was one of the first people to meet him, and I was there at midnight the day he was born and i got to hold him and he's awesome he's a cool kid and i'm super excited for me and ben and and for liam so we're gonna indoctrinate him real quick with horror i'm sure it's gonna it's going to happen so that's guess what guys you got a divorce and a baby in one year what up right yeah we're just here keeping things interesting (laughs) yeah exactly I'm, I'm going to keep it on a roll. I, I'm going to do something else crazy this year. Oh, Lord. Yeah. No, not really. Lord, help us. No, I'm not. Hopefully. Hopefully. He's like, no, that's it. That's my big thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's my big thing. I don't need any more. Ryan's all of a sudden going to announce, guys, I'm having a baby. Oh, God, no. Just out of nowhere. I mean, like, oh, if, God. If, 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 okay, listeners, if I announce I'm having a baby, 100% an accident right now, <laughs> just so everyone is aware. Um, yeah, so... Um, we were talking about it yesterday, actually. Um, P's husband, Ben, brought it up, which was really cool. Was it yesterday? Day before yesterday? Right, right on there. I don't know what day it is. Day before yesterday. It was Sunday. Um, that Liam, the first movie he ever got to see was Avengers Infinity, or Avengers Endgame, which is yeah. essentially probably going to be one of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, I like was very worried about having Endgame being spoiled for me. And like I've seen... I've seen all the Marvel movies except for Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep up with them. I 
I don't necessarily always go see them in theaters. I actually didn't see the last Avengers Infinity War until Christmas. Um, but this is one that you kind of got to get out yeah. immediately because it's going to get spoiled oh, so yeah. quickly. And after, you know, 20, right, 20 films? 20, this is the that's 22nd. The 20, okay, so 21 films, like, you know, you invest a lot of time. I did not want it spoiled for me. So yeah. I was like, hmm, not ready to leave my newborn at home to go to the movies, even though he was perfectly capable to be here with my husband. I went I mean, to the drive-in. To be fair, it's a long-ass movie. And it's a long movie. Yeah, so it's like. Hours. I went to the drive-in with my best friend, Lo. She came with me, and it was literally like I breastfed before the movie started. Um, and then before the movie ended, he already needed to eat again. Yep. So, like, that's how long the film is, two yep. breastfeeding sessions. <laughs> that's how you measure time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, it was... I'm interested to see how I'm going to feel about it in a more intimate setting. Because mm-hmm. um, the drive-in's a little impersonal. Um, so I think it's a little harder to connect to the film um, and really get immersed in it. Because, like, you're in your car. Plus, like I said, I was, like, had my son with me and um, a little distracted by that. Um, but, I mean, I think it was great. I think it was really well written. Um, I think it does a great job of finishing the storylines of the main Avengers yeah. cast. Yeah. Um, while still having some cool moments for the entire universe, um, yeah. So I just think it was really well done. I don't think it's at, I don't think it's one of the ones that's like as exciting or fun to watch as say like Infinity War. Yeah, no. Um, no. Which I think is way more fun, more action, um, a lot more going on. Still really emotional and kind of crazy. This one's more like, okay, we did that. This is really serious, and we're gonna like you know, um, really pay tribute to our characters and do them justice. And I think that was beautifully done. Yeah, I got to go with, it was pretty awesome. I got to go, a group of eight of us went on opening night. Um, and I have seen all of them in theaters. I'm, I am a huge comic book nerd. So it was a very emotional thing for me. There were definitely moments during the movie where I got like full body chills. I definitely cried. Um, and the Russos just did a great job, and so did the, like, the core cast, and I've seen a lot of people online, like, kind of complaining, like, oh, these characters didn't really get their moment, and, like, that's what Infinity War was for, was for those other characters to get their moments, mm-hmm. and, like, be said, this was for, realistically, this is for Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. Like, this is for them to get their moments, and then still including Hulk, Black Widow, and, uh, Hawkeye. Like, it's the original core Avengers team. Yeah. Um, so... That's really what this movie is about, and I think they did a great job of wrapping up those storylines. Um, so, I loved it. I thought it was it was amazing. I'm super excited that it's breaking, like, shattering all these records. It's just really cool to see, like, no matter how you feel about the Marvel movies, like, I know some people are just, like, tired of superhero movies, which I still insist, like, people need to get over the whole superhero. Like, when are superhero movies going to go away? Like, they're not. They're a genre now. It's just, like, a Western or a horror movie. Like, it's a genre of movie. Just get used to it. It's going to stay around. But um, I don't think anyone can argue, like, the cultural impact that these movies have had and, like, how kind of insane it's been, like, what Marvel was able to do. So I definitely, if you can, recommend seeing it in theaters. Um, I do think it's, like, like, one of those ones you should see in theaters. Um, and realistically, you don't need to see, like, Captain Marvel or even, like, really Ant-Man or the Wasp, like, any of those. Like, don't trip on seeing, like, too many of them. There's, like, there are, I mean, Infinity War is really what you need to see before you go see Endgame. Yeah, and Infinity War, like, would be more confusing if you hadn't seen a few of the other ones, like, yeah. 
Black Panther Black and Panther, stuff. Yeah, but yeah. watching Endgame, none of those movies really matter. The like slight references will be, you know. And here's the thing: it's like I don't have the best memory, and I'm not really great at like long term plots. So there's a bunch of stuff that you know really ties into the end and they're like oh remember this thing from the original Thor and it's like no I don't remember that thing from the original (laughs) Thor or like oh and they talked about this and Ant-Man and it's like even though I've seen all the movies I've seen some of them multiple times um, I don't necessarily like spend a lot of time being like oh there's this tiny little piece and that's going to play together at the end of this and that's why this is going to happen it's just not usually how I pay attention to things in such a long-going series. And yeah. in one individual film, yes. But in a long series, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember them mentioning that. And so if you're not, like, too caught up on that, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, like B said, she didn't see Captain Marvel, and she still completely understand, like understood who Captain Marvel was, yeah. like, what her role in that movie yeah. was. So. You just go, oh, okay, she's hella powerful, got it. Yeah, that's pretty much all you yeah. need to know, like, realistically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely... Bravo to the Russos, to Marvel, to everyone involved. I'm excited to see like where they go from here. It was a huge milestone, um, and just really cool. So yeah, Endgame is massive. I mean, it's God, it made 1.3 billion dollars in five days. It's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And I can't believe it. Yeah, that will be the first out like in the world movie my son has seen. He that's a good have, one. Yeah, he went to the movies a lot while he while I was pregnant. But yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I'm, I mean, good on him. I know the first one I ever saw was Beauty and the Beast, which I think is a good one, so I'm okay with that, too. I think Pocahontas or something. I don't know. Some, some One of those movies. Technically, he saw a Disney movie. Um, I also, so I watched, well, way less than B. Um, I watched uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death on Shudder, because I'm pretty sure Elric on the Shockwaves podcast was talking about it quite a bit, and um, I've been hopping back on Shudder a lot lately. Um Directed by John D. Hancock. It's from, like, the 1970s. It's a psychological thriller with, like, loose vampire illusions. Um, I'd always, like, heard of it, and I'd always seen the poster for it and was, like, aware of the movie, but had never, like, really even known what it was about. It's fantastic. If you guys haven't seen it, like, um, it's just crazy well done, super creepy, um, very... Uh, it's it's very odd. It's like a very off-putting movie because it's kind of one of those things where you're wondering if our main character is like basically essentially having a psychotic break or not, um, and like these things are happening around her. But like, like at first you're kind of like, oh, is this place haunted? And then you're kind of like, wait, is this town haunted? Like being stalked by a vampire? Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a lot of things happening in it, but they do it really well, and it's never like it all it doesn't feel like convoluted or like muddied it, it feels like it playing into like her mental state of being of like she can't really keep a straight um like notion of what's going on um so i definitely recommend checking that out if you can um and then uh, i'll lead into b's pop culture check in real quick because we both watched someone great on netflix um we are obviously big fans of uh, rom-coms mm-hmm. or also, like, I like to call these movies, like, 30-somethings or late-20-somethings, you know, like, where it's kind of just friends that are in their late 20s or early 30s kind of navigating life, and mm-hmm. that's what this one is. It's directed by Jennifer Kate and Robinson. Um, it's her debut feature. She wrote and directed it. It stars Brittany Snow um, and now the other Gina girls. Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. And then I think her name's DeWanda Weiss is the other character, um, and then Lakeith Stanfield's also in it, and I love him. He's fantastic. Um, but it's basically just about a girl who goes through a breakup after nine years. 
Um, and it's about her dealing with that breakup with her two best friends and then also like dealing with their life and where they are in life and it keeps flashing back to like kind of like when they were in college and then where they are now um, and it's just really fun and like really well written and Gina Rodriguez is spectacular mm-hmm. um, she's just a really talented and beautiful actress um, everyone in the movie was really good uh, yeah, the it was. RuPaul appearance was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was spectacularly acted, and really, I think it's this really nice way to tell a story. Like Ryan said, there are like flashbacks um, because we start with a couple um, kind of breaking up, and then we get glimpses of sort of the path as she's dealing with it. So as she's walking through the city, it takes place honestly in just twenty four hours. Um, like the day after her breakup and her two best friends take off work and they just have kind of this crazy day of her dealing with the fact that um, her nine-year relationship is over and not only that but she's moving from New York to San Francisco to start a dream job so she's also leaving her two best friends behind Um, so it's a story about their relationship her friendship And as she travels through the day, we're getting hints at her relationship. And it starts with all the good things. And we slowly start seeing, like, how it started deteriorating. Um, So it's really beautifully told. Karin said, spectacularly acted. The soundtrack is super great. Oh, yeah. Um, I was reading about it. And the the woman who picked the songs, she said, I wanted it to sound like songs they... These women, these women would actually listen to. Yeah. Um, and so even in scenes that it's not necessarily like them listening to a song, but it's in the background, she still wanted it to seem like it'd be something that was like on their phone that they'd be listening to, which I think really um, stays true to the story and the characters and was a really smart thing to do. Um, yeah, it was just a hidden gem and a lot of the poor <laughs> Netflix. Yeah like cheap rom-coms that are fine and I'm glad we're getting some I'm glad we are too because they're kind of like it's for like every 10 there's two good ones right yeah and I understand that the ones where I'm like oh my god this story is atrocious I'm not probably their key audience they're not looking for a you know yeah 27 year old opinion on it they're looking for that 15 year old who's in love with Noah Sinta whatever yeah, uh, yeah that guy I know yeah and he's good in some and then in some uh, he's, he's charming yeah you know, he's playing the same you know what he reminds me I, I was just I was actually talking to Kate about him uh-huh. and I was laughing because he reminds me of Keanu Reeves he's not a very good actor no. But he's incredibly charming. Yeah. Like, I don't like Keanu through. Reeves. The only thing I oh, like I him Keanu. in is in John Wick. I love Everything Keanu. else he's terrible in. He's a bad actor, but he's, he's super charming. Actor. He's super likable, which is like, no. I feel like this, yes, I feel like Noah is. But yeah, no. Because it's like, no, like you said, we're, we're referring to the movie The Perfect Date, which, because yes. um, oh. it's true, like, we got this, like, someone great, and then we get something, like, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which was fantastic. Yeah, super he's good. he's in that, too. Yeah, he is. But then we get something like The Perfect Date, or, yeah. like, The Kissing Booth, and I'm like, eh, no, these are not, yeah, these are not, like, my favorite things. And then there's a couple, like, in the middle ones. Like, what was that one? Set It Up? I thought that one was, like, Oh, that cutesy. one was cutesy, yeah. and yeah. Sierra Burgess was okay yeah so so we're getting yeah. some middle of the road ones but yeah i i do appreciate what netflix is doing i do and also you know it's always cool to see like i said you know um J- jennifer keaton robinson literally it, she wrote uh, like six episodes of an MTV show and they let her direct this week yeah. that she also wrote so yeah, giving people awesome. a chance is awesome 
Yeah, so I was kind of going, so, I mean, I've had a baby two weeks ago, so I've been on maternity leave, and I've been basically breastfeeding 24-7, so it's landed me in front of my phone or in front of my TV a lot. Um, And so I was watching just kind of a lot of these sort of themed movies, like whatever that one, Perfect Date, which was not great. I watched Edge of Seventeen, finally, which I saw was on Netflix. I love that movie Which I thought was very good. Woody Um, Harrelson is so good in that movie. Yeah, it was, and it was one of those movies that was like, I definitely related to her character a ton, um, and related to how I felt when I was a kid, and definitely... You know, she suffers from feeling like she's not liked and... Yeah, that was, it's Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, you know, she's not very liked um, by people or that she's annoying and she finds herself that way. And that's definitely something I struggled with a lot when I was younger. Where if, you know, somebody didn't like me, I, I struggled with being exactly who I was and being proud of that. But then when people didn't react well to it, then I was like, oh my god, like you know, maybe I'm not a very good person and maybe like I am annoying or blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly how this character was. And so I super related to that. It was almost hard to watch because of that. Cause I was like, Oh God, flashbacks. I actually being, like even, a preteen. Yeah. Even me like, yeah. Had that. And like, yeah. but, but like, you know, obviously not a female, but like this movie very much like I was like, fuck, like they're really hitting home, like, how it feels to be that age. Yeah, and, like, and how hard it is. Yeah, because I was very much the same, like, yeah. really awkward, like, super uncomfortable being myself, like, kind of, like, especially at, like, 17, I was, like, yeah. kind of figuring out who I was, and, like, I knew who I was, but I was afraid to be that person, because I was like, well, is that person cool, or, like, is that person right. going to be cool, and, yeah, I just, I agree, super, super good, um, yeah, what, I just love Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he's great. Um, so that, I really liked that. Um, I saw that Crazy Rich Asians went up on HBO, and so I finally watched that. I've been wanting to watch it, and, like, I mean, all the craziness, I just didn't get around to it. And, I mean, it was spectacular. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's just fun. really fun. It's really fun. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. Really well acted. Um, everyone's beautiful in it. Everyone's really beautiful, including, like, the scenery. Yeah. Um, holy shit. Like, every oh place they were. I was like, Jesus, what was the budget for this movie? Like, these freaking mansions are gorgeous. And everything about it, you just... It was so colorful. You just wanted to, like, step into this film. Mm-hmm. Um, all the ca- all the characters were super likable. Uh, that were supposed to be likable. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it was just a spectacular, like, big-budget romantic comedy that has been missing for the last ten years. Yeah, and it did um, super well. It did really well. And, I mean, I loved seeing a, you know, fully Asian cast directed by an Asian director. Yeah. Um, based on a book by an Asian writer. Like, all of that makes me so happy. Um, you know, as a, like, white girl, like, I can only imagine, like, what this meant to actually be seen and represented in a film like this. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I just thought it was spectacular, and I, I can't wait. I, I believe they're... I know it's a book series, and they're I believe doing they're doing yeah. a sequel. Yeah, I can't wait. China Rich Girlfriend. <laughs> Well, and the guy who's in it, um, Henry, right? Is yeah. that his name? Henry Golding. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's attractive. He's so attractive. He's... So is Constance Wu. Like, yeah. the two of them on screen, every time they were on screen together, oh, I was like, oh. it's too pretty. Yeah, it's just too much. Yeah. Too attractive. Yeah. You no, know, there's this scene where they, like, wake up in the hotel, and he, like, gets out of bed, and he's shirtless, and she's, like, 
puts her glasses and she goes like hubba hubba and I'm like you know exactly that would be like my reaction anytime I saw him I'd be like oh hello what's up so that was super fun all these just really like nice light movies I watched Christopher Robin um which I was feeling really lukewarm about it I actually it came out when we were at Midsummer Scream um and we were like walking around and we kept seeing like posters for it and i was like god what is this movie like it looks so random i think it came out at a really weird time like end of july is a strange time for a movie like this yeah right when's the release date it's august 3rd so yeah july early august yeah yeah and i was it feels like a christmas movie like yeah yeah and it's based in like I don't know, somewhere, London, somewhere over there. Right. And it's, like, cold and dreary, and it should be a Christmas movie. But I thought it it's a little um, cynical at times, yeah. but the actual, like, Winnie the Pooh characters and the Hundred Acre Woods is beautiful. It's so perfect for those of us who grew up on the original film, which I did. That was a big one for me. I watched it over and over. I loved the TV series. Like I remember oh, I when the, TV show. the Tigger yeah. movie came out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Like I was like front row seeing it. Like I love Winnie the Pooh. That was definitely a huge part of my childhood. And seeing them sort of, you know, in live action form, um, incredibly funny and charming and just how you would want them. Um, Ewan McGregor is great as always. I love him. Um, and yeah, and it really ends up being a great story about, um, childhood and family and priorities. And especially as I was like sitting here watching it, like with my newborn, And the big story arc is about him, like, kind of forgetting about his childhood. Um, I think it was just just a great reminder. And I think this film is really... I'd be interested to see how kids like it. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't do well at all. Yeah, I think it did okay. It barely broke even. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I definitely felt like it was really... It was a movie for me. Yeah, and, and I think not it was necessarily for our a, a movie the, for yeah. kids. Um, I think it was a movie for adults and about remembering to be a kid, and that's okay. It reminds I didn't see it, but like the vibe I got was like Hook kind of. Where yeah, kind of a lot of people like said that. Yeah, with mm-hmm. childhood and like those kind of. Things. Yeah, it's like a more serious Hook. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it was directed by um, Mark Forrester, who did Finding Neverland um, uh, and like Monsters Ball. Okay. Um, he did World War Z. I mean, I really like this director. He's done a lot of things I really like. Um, I love Finding Neverland. Yeah, it's a great film, and it feels like Finding Neverland. When I looked that up, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, beautifully filmed, and like I said, the actual Winnie the Pooh characters themselves are are beautiful, and I think done really well. So they're meant to look like stuffed animals. Yeah, which um, I like. Which I really liked. I think that was like the right way to handle it, not yeah. make them look like real bears or cartoony. Or cartoony. Yeah. Um, so when they come into like the real world out of the Hundred Acre Woods, it kind of just looks like they're carrying around stuffed animals. And I mean, Pooh just is hilarious, and you're just laughing at everything he says. It's great. I love Pooh. Yeah, Pooh's great. There's like a scene with like a balloon, and he's like, oh no, my balloon. And he like goes chasing after it, and I don't know. It's just great it's on netflix now yeah it's on netflix so definitely check it out before they pull it um for disney plus um and then last thing i finally watched blade for the first time yeah um so i watched blade Blade. yeah i watched blade one and two um and i thought they were good they age poorly um like computer oh yeah graphics wise um 
I th I think I Blade Two is more fun. I totally get that. So Blade Two is definitely well, it's Del Toro. So yeah, yeah. and it's like the established cast, and it's way more actiony. Where Blade, you know, one really spends most of the time as like an origin story, and I don't necessarily love the female lead in it. She's a little bland. Yeah. Um, but I really like Stephen Dorff's He's villain. Super He's good in super it. Super yeah. good in it. I mean, even now, like if you talk to like comic book nerds, like Deacon Frost is still mentioned as like one of the better comic book yeah. villains. Yeah. Very. Very good. Really liked his part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought they were good. Yeah. I, I'm not, like, crazy about them. Well, it's David Goyer movie. wrote them, and he wrote all the Batman, the Christopher Nolan Batman mm -hmm. movies, and he wrote, I mean, he's just done, he's done so much stuff. Yeah, a lot um, of horror stuff, too, he, right? He, oh, of... yeah, I mean, Freddy vs. Jason, yeah. he's done the Puppet Master movies, he's done a couple of the Crow movies, he's all over the place. Yeah. So, he's doing the Terminator, um, yeah, so he's yeah. a, a well-known, too. Um, yeah, I always liked Blade, and, I mean, it saved Marvel, so that's always a big thing, too, and, um, yeah, Blade 1 and 2 are a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so, like, very 90s film-wise. So 90s, like, yeah. I mean, it starts in, like, a rave, like. Uh, yeah, like, the music is hard for me to get past, and, like, really, um, over-the-top, like, punch sound effects, and I'm like, oh, God, this is painful, um, but, you know, besides that, like I said, um, you know, trying to remember that it is a film from the 90s, and I'm now watching it in 2019. Yep. Um, I think they're really good films. That's, I and I think, though, like you said, like, that's part of, I think, say, like, Blade 2 holds up better because Del Toro did it, and Del Toro is notorious for using practical effects, which yeah. ages better, so yeah. um, there's not as many scenes that are quite as noticeably CG. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, too, the guy who directed Blade 1, which was a massive success. Like, Blade 1 was, it cost $45 million, um, it made 131, but like for a superhero movie, like no one thought, and it was rated R. So at the time it was like, this is crazy. Superhero horror film. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he, so he did that and then he went on to do the Leave Extraordinary Gentleman movie and then he never directed another movie again because it oh, killed his career. I love that movie. Um, have I you watched it recently? The, oh, I mean, not super recently. It's still... She, like, it's really bad, but, like, enjoyably bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just for me as, like, a kid, like, especially I was a huge fan of, like, Jekyll and Hyde as, like, yep. I grew up with that story. And well, it's a seeing, time capsule. Shane West is in it. And I love you know? Shane West. Yeah, exactly. And seeing all yeah. those people together, like, yep. those characters, it just, it really, yeah. I used to watch it over and over. I loved that movie. Well, I own it <laughs> if you ever want to watch it. Um, yeah, so that's what we were watching. Like I said, you know, uh, be watch a lot because she was on maternity leave. Yeah. Still is on maternity leave. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, watch the report on. Um, and next episode, I will have gone to Texas Frightmare. Yeah, he's um, going in a couple days. Yes. So you guys won't hear this actually. So, but I will report back um, about Texas Frightmare. This will go up the Monday I get back. So uh, next episode, I will have lots of hopefully lots of fun updates. Um, yeah, and. Hopefully I saw some of you there. I'll try and convince Ryan to Instagram story on the Keep Screaming. I will, I will, I will. We'll I know. See. I'm bringing a mobile charger, so I'll, I'll get stuff done. Because I will not be there. Yeah, B's the one who gets all that shit done. I know. I was really proud of myself. I was the one who decided to post the prom pictures, and I was really proud of myself because I was like, okay, I know B's got baby. I got to do some shit. So I did I that. Good job, Larson. Yeah. Um, cool. So we are covering 1980s prom night because we did the 2000. Eight, eight, yeah. uh, quote unquote remake, but not remake in anything but title alone, um, which we were not huge fans of. Yeah. Um, I'm actually glad we went back and watched this because 
I remember not super loving it the first time I saw it, and I definitely liked it a lot more this time around. Yeah, um, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, so the synopsis is, the slasher movie follows a relentless killer who's out to avenge the death of a young girl who died after being bullied and teased by four of her classmates. Now high school students, the guilt-ridden kids, have kept their involvement a secret, but when they start being murdered one by one, it's clear that someone knows the truth. Also coping with the past are members of the dead girl's family, most notably her prom queen sister, Kim, Kim Hammond, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. So it's released July 18th, uh, 1980 in the U.S. I believe it came out in September in Canada, which is, this is a Canadian film. Mm-hmm. Um, budget, $1.5 million in Canadian dollars. Um, box office, $14.7 million in the U.S. So Good return. Um, good return, and it ended up actually being the top-grossing film in Canada in 1980. It's so it weird huge. when I see numbers like that. Yeah. It's, like, so, even, like, to go back just a little bit, so Endgame, I was, because I'm obsessed with looking at box office numbers, Endgame, like, because we look at American box office numbers, and they're just ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, but, like, like you know, it's, its budget was $1.5 million Canadian, so, I mean, it, it probably... It probably made less in Canada than it did in America, mm-hmm. uh, but it was still the number one grossing movie in Canada that mm-hmm. year. Uh, Endgame was the number one biggest opening ever in China um, at $20 million, which is, like, it's, it sounds like a lot, but, like, in America it was, what? like... that's nothing. Yeah, yeah, in America it was, like, in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. And the next closest, the what, the biggest before that, so it was $20 million, the biggest before that was Fate of the Furious at nine. <laughs> I'm like what? It's okay, yeah. So it's just it's always crazy to me to look at those numbers. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's a really good return, actually. Yeah. So. Um. Nice. It's forty five percent Rotten Tomatoes. It when you look at the critic consensus, it's mostly negative. So many weird comparisons to Halloween in almost every reference. And if any of you, Ryan and I, don't get that. So if any of you see some similarities that maybe we're just missing for some reason i don't see the relation i definitely see the carrie references oh there's a lot of carrie in this movie even like the bully they like totally rip off john travolta yeah but like like, i feel like it's literally because jamie lee curtis that's the only thing i can see and it's it's like Halloween and the fact that it is a holiday-themed slasher, as in it's based around prom, which is kind of a holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out in 1980, just like um, Friday the 13th, which Friday the 13th is kind of a holiday, but not really, right. um, which we're trying to cash in. I mean, this 100% movie was made because of Halloween. Yes. Um, there's no doubting that, but I, I mean, teenagers being stalked. Yeah, the killer is vastly different. The soundtrack and the score are, like, complete opposite. Um, I mean, even the pacing of the movie is very different. Um, yeah. Like, I just don't see the comparison to Halloween. I would actually compare it at least more to Friday 2, which wasn't even out at this point. But, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't see it at all. Yeah. I think it has <laughs> even some... I mean... Structure-wise, I mean, it follows our beloved My Bloody Valentine in a lot of ways for, like, the natural blueprint of mm-hmm. things. And so, I don't know. We, interesting, like I said, if anybody sees that. But mostly people just said it was a rip-off film and didn't offer anything to the genre. And this was a time that slashers were brand new and critics didn't like it. They really just didn't understand them. They thought they were... 
um, exploitative. The um, marketing um, was critiqued for being about just like slashing up women. Um, and so I think that a lot of the reviews suffer from the fact that it was 1980. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I don't think it merits that low at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have some problems with it, but like, oh, me too. Yeah. I mean, and, but, you know, it's a slasher movie. So I, like, I, like you said though, like I feel at the time, almost any slasher got brushed into this category of Halloween ripoff and right. it, it didn't really like get looked at very seriously because Halloween had become such a big thing and they're like, oh, people are just cashing in. Um, yeah, so I feel like it didn't really get the, like, the true, uh, any, like, real attention. Um, four sequels and a quote-unquote remake at the one we covered. None of the sequels have anything to do with any of the others, I think. So, the only thing that they keep in common is it's all set at the same high school. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then there is... I don't think I wrote it down. There's one character that's, or actor that's in every film. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Hamilton High School is the one setting that all the prom night movies have in common. Um, and the line, it's not who you come with, it's who takes you home, is in every prom night movie. So that line that said, it's in every single one, which I think is really fun. Yeah, if you're in, like, the horror circle, Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou is a huge, like, cult classic now. It's great. Um, it's a great movie. It's, it's super, super like... Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah and Carrie-ish, yeah. like, um, mm-hmm. but fully embraces, like, ghosts really weirdo bonkers. Yeah. Um, I have not seen the other ones. I know the yeah. cover of Prom Night 4 is really weird. It's like a... Oh, no, maybe it's the cover of Prom Night 3, actually, is the one I'm thinking of. There's one with, like, a guy on a motorcycle. That's Prom yeah. Night 3, The Last Kiss. And it's li- it's even listed as a comedy slasher film. Yeah, and so is the fourth. The yeah. fourth, I've, I was, like, re- I haven't seen the other ones either. I haven't seen the third or fourth. Um, but I was, was I reading something about it? Um, oh, the fourth is follows a deranged Catholic priest who begins murdering teenagers on their prom night. That, like, signed me up. I want to see that. And that's actually a slasher. I think the second one doesn't... It it would be hard for us, I think, to convince oh, yeah. as a slasher. I don't, it, it's not. It's, it's too it's supernatural. supernatural. Yeah. Um, but fun fact, just looking at Super uh, Prom Night 3, it follows Mary Lou. It's her yes. trapped in hell. So yes. that's fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, lots of sequels. Yeah. Uh, and then... 87, the, 89, 92, and then obviously the remake in 08. And then the remake, um, after I had forgotten about this subplot until I rewatched it. So the remake does kind of take, there's a subplot in this film about somebody who's escaped from a mental hospital that a detective is researching. And so that's, it's like the remake takes that minor subplot and decides to make that the main focus which I had forgotten because it is such a minor part of this film. It barely exists. It barely exists. And I looked up the reason why is that was added later. And, they're, like, it, it exists so little that when the cop showed up at the prom, I was like, what's he doing here right. again? Well, I was like, yeah. I, was, I was confused about it. Um, yeah, the subplot about Leonard Merch was added late in the production of the film. So that's why it makes sense that it was really kind of forgettable. Um, so that is the one other connection besides the name that I can give the remake is it took that idea. Um, B, I think you forgot to include the poster. Oh, I did. Yeah. So yeah, the poster was actually critiqued by, um, what's their faces? The famous critics? Robert, uh, Robert. No, um, at the time it would have been Siskel and Ebert. Yes. Yeah. 
So they critiqued it for um, like the slap, like showing like the slashing of a woman and like the phallic um, weapon, it which is, is phallic, super as fuck. phallic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Even like the the way it's it's like a vagina and a penis. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. like definitely. It's yeah. like an opening and an entry. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the word gash, but it's like a gash. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. So this poster, man, it's. It's all right. I like the tagline. Yeah. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. But it doesn't apply to the movie very well. Like, yeah. no, there's no stroke of midnight. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's like a. It's a very uh, condemning tagline, but like it's it, there's nothing about that in the movie. So it's an illustrated poster. Um, we get our like black ski mask, and the eye is really illuminated, um, which I do really like because that is uh, commonly filmed in this. Had some very. Um, What's his face? The Italian director vibes. Oh, um, um, Argento. Uh, yeah, it's had some serious Argento vibes with like the focusing on the eyes a bunch, and that actually ends up being like a, a big plot factor, point yeah. in the ba- in the very end of it. Um, so I like all of that. Um, I they're showing him like a leather gloves, which I don't really. I mean, I think he's wearing gloves, but it's I it's, don't know. Yeah. The poster is super giallo-esque. It is. It yeah. looks like a giallo. Yeah. Um, even, yeah, I mean, this should, looks like an Argento film, just mm-hmm. the poster itself. And then we have our, like, phallic knife glass shard thing, and it's got, like, a woman dripping blood, like, shooting. It's like a flower. Yeah. Like in a, the blood. Yeah. What? Yeah. It doesn't is, relate to the I mean, the no. killer does. The, yeah, killer the killer does, but, like. Which I like. Again, like, you and I both have a problem when there's characters that aren't in the movie on this, which is extremely popular. I, and it's something, it's going to be, like, my life passion to look into this, but I'd be really interested to see, it seems like, you know, the illustrator didn't, you know, probably hadn't seen the film, the film might have not been finished, they're just like, here, this is what our killer looks like, and then they just sort of illustrate something that's spooky. Um, But, I mean, otherwise, it's set up really well. Um, Prom Night's in what's called, like, a Jersey script, which is very associated with high schools or college because it's like the same the type of lettering varsity. that yeah. yeah it's the same type of lettering that would be like on a varsity letter jacket and then the bottom like drips blood um so all that's great i mean the type setup well i mean it's a good poster it really yeah is. it just doesn't i mean the killer relates but you know yeah the, the tagline's not great and also then. it's it's not a sexual movie it's not a um, it's not like Slumber Party Massacre where there's like intentional sexual references relating to the killer or like the women being stalked. There's not, there's like one character that's kind of sexual yeah. um, in the whole movie. There's nudity briefly. Is there? There's a shower scene. You see oh, like a butt. Yeah. And I think that's really it. But like yeah. there's, I mean, there's, that sex is alluded to but never seen. Yeah. yeah. So it seems a little weird that the poster so heavily kind of alludes to a more sexual nature. Um, I mean, prom night normally. Yep. So yep. maybe that's it. Um, the score was done by Paul Zaza mm-hmm. and Carl Zitterer. Um, they also did Black Christmas, My Bloody Valentine, Curtains, Prom Night 2, 3, and 4. Very insanely well-versed in horror, yeah. obviously. Um, and it's a it's a really solid score. Yeah. So, and then the soundtrack. So the score's good. It really is, like, the whole way through. I mean, it's just really solid. Um, and similar to, like, My Bloody... Well, it's not, actually. It does better... 
with the suspense that mm-hmm. I think these other films do. Mm-hmm. Um, the soundtrack's uber famous for being a disco soundtrack. And I didn't really realize this until now. It, um, it's been talked about. It's actually coming out for the first time. Um, now, essentially, by the time you listen to this, you can pre-order the LP. Um, it's a double pressing on vinyl um, through 1984 Publishing. So you can go to their website and order it. Um, I guess there was like a seven inch of like one song put out for Record Store Day. Yeah, with the book. Yeah, um, with a book. Yeah. Um, they talked about it on the Shockwaves podcast. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be the whole soundtrack. So originally the film was done to big disco hits by like Donna Summer, you know, the usual disco people. And the producer was like, wait, no, you can't use these. We do not have the money for these licenses. And so they had Zaza write the rewrite the songs to use but he rewrote them so closely to the originals that they got sued <laughs> for 10 million dollars oh my god that's so um, much of their budget so they settled for 50,000 but oh, he's terrible so in five days he rewrote these famous disco songs um for the movie specifically which is why there's a song called prom night in it um, which that song is the song that has a dance number in it. Yeah, which and I it's really love. Fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. It's like what I feel like Terra Train tried to do. Yeah. And failed. Mm-hmm. And where this one, instead of going like, why is there this weird dance sequence in the middle of it? You go like, yeah, this makes sense. This fits. Yeah. It's, instead of being like, seems... why is there magic in the middle of this movie? <laughs> yeah. That dance sequence is fucking great, though. Like, I really, no. truly enjoyed yeah. it. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it just works because they're at prom. Exactly. Yeah, so I, uh, like, it's, uh, at first you're, like, laughing because you're like, this is silly. But then you're like, but it makes sense. Like, yeah. that's what would happen at a prom in, no, like, exactly. you know, 1980. Um, no, it, super good soundtrack. It's yeah. really enjoyable. Um, the score is really good. I'm the If you guys, yeah, check out 1984publishing.com. Because um, Bloody Disgusting released, like, the the details on that vinyl, and it's really beautifully done. Um, so it would be a good a good one to own if you're into, like, those slasher vinyls, which B's getting a pretty nice collection of. Yeah, I also, while we were gone, Record Store Day happened, which I used to work, I think I mentioned I used to work at a record store. I worked at one for almost 10 years. Um, I was around when the first Record Store Day happened. Um, it was a big deal for independent record stores. It's something I still try and support um, now that I'm out of that industry. Um, and I ended up picking up the I Know What You Did Last Summer vinyl. And I also picked up House of Wax. Yeah, um, which are two favorites of ours. Yeah, love those movies. Don't necessarily love the music that's on them. I now own some, like nasty butt rock and disturbed that's yeah. not my ish but i'm gonna listen to it anyways yeah. and they look real good and they uh, look really pretty vinyl, on my yeah. shelf next to my screen vinyl but i was like oh my god i don't think i've ever purchased anything with disturbed on it now <laughs> two things <laughs> it's, all both it's all both uh paul lynch directed this he did nothing he did some tv show work i but... mean i tried i mean you'll probably maybe recognize something i looked and i'm like none of these are worth mentioning so you know just some stuff he's still working so good for him a lot of it looks bad yeah um which is always crazy to me when we see those directors that do something like this like this isn't my bloody valentine by any means but like mm-hmm. it's 
good. Mm-hmm. It's and it made enough money mm-hmm. and like did well enough. Like and like you know, B was looking at the trivia and one of the like one of the kind of trivia things was just that this came out around the same time as Friday the Thirteenth, and it did better with better reviews, but just nothing happened with it. Like Where Friday the Thirteenth sp- blew up into one of the most famous franchises ever. Yeah, which also is always crazy to me. I think it's that stinger. I really do at the end of Friday because like. You, Where he jumps out of the water. Yeah, because yeah. Pamela Voorhees is a boring killer. Like, she's not in it. Like, the kills are good, but yeah. she herself is a boring killer. And so, like, you know, I think it's that stinger that made Friday. And then, you know, it just went on to be massive success. Yeah. Um, but that's always interesting to me when you see someone and it's like, I mean, it's it's also about, like, kind of like her good friend Jamie Blinks. Like, you know, like, yeah. he made two really successful, like, fun horror movies and then just gone. And he disappeared into the Outback. The Outback with Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We need to record an episode with Aaron and Brenda when they're here. Yeah. We need to do a four-person. Okay. Um, William Gray wrote it. Uh, he worked with Paul Lynch a bunch, but he also wrote The Changeling, which is one of the most, like, it's very critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. um, very well-received. Um, it's, like, his big credit. Yeah, and that's a big one. Yeah, like, The Changeling is. is one of those ones, like, kind of crossover hits, like, one of those ones that gets mentioned as, like, one of those horror movies that like transcended because it did so well and was like yeah. very critically well received. Well, yeah, and it was super successful. Oh. A six hundred thousand dollar budget made five point three million. Yeah, um, um, and yeah. I still haven't seen it. It's on Shutter. Uh, I think either Shutter, Shutter, Amazon Prime. So I, I need to see it because yeah. I've always heard it's spectacular. Um, it's just one of those ones I've never got around to. Yeah, so it was him, um, Russell Hunter, and a Diana Maddox who um, wrote the film, um, which also came out in 1980 and was also a Canadian film. God, Canadians just know how to make horror movies, yeah, guys. They just know how to do everything. That's true. I know. The Great White North. Degrassi. Yeah, Degrassi. <laughs> Uh, if you guys can, if you weren't aware, whatever it takes is like the tagline for tagline for Endgame, but it's also the theme song for Degrassi. <laughs> oh, and, that mashup! And, and someone did a cut of yeah. the trailer with the Degrassi it's theme song, amazing. and it's amazing. Especially if you grew up with that show. Yes, it's so good. Um, there's two rough, like really big names on this. It's yeah. very okay. So if you grew up at the same time as us, Leslie Nielsen is literally like a spoof actor he was well known Mm -hmm. for airplane he was well known for naked gun and he was well known for the scary movie movies so any and he was in dracula den of loving it he was in police squad like all of these spoofs pretty sure i saw spy hard like five thousand times as a kid right exactly so when you see him in a movie where he plays a serious role also leslie nielsen was like always old um, but when you see him in a movie where he's being serious, it's always off-putting because I keep expecting him to break into, like, comedic. I actually forgot it was him when I was watching it. He Well, he does look like he has more of a like edge to him. His face is a little... Yeah. It's not a soft. Yeah, because he's um, younger. Because he's younger. So I at first when I saw it, I was like, is that Leslie Nielsen? And I was like, oh, that's definitely Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is like... He gets top billing in this because at the time he was definitely the biggest actor. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Lee Curtis's career hadn't quite blown up yet. Um, and he does play um, Mr. Hammond. Who, oh, yeah. Mr. Magoo loved that movie too. Oh, God. I loved um, it. So, yeah, it's just silly. Like, yeah, really. Like I said, he's in spoofs. That's yeah. what he did. Repossessed. Like, that was his thing. Um, so he gets top billing as Mr. Hammond. He's the father to um, Alex and Kimberly and the deceased, I think her name is Robin yeah. um, Hammond. Um, those are like the kind of the three kids that we follow. God. Uh, are you kidding me? Continue. 
what are you looking up now? Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is our main star uh, as Kimberly Hammond, um, and obviously we all know Jamie Lee from everything that she's in, uh, Halloween. I mean, we've talked about Jamie Lee so much, you know, The Fog, just things. The Fog, Terror Train, and Prom Night all came out in 1980. Damn! All starring Jamie Lee Curtis. She had a hell of a year. And then she left horror. Yeah, it's like the year that, um... Jim Carrey put out East Ventura of the Mask and Dumb and Dumber all in one year. Oh, great movies. Yeah, 1994. Um, and then you highlighted Michael Tuff. I don't know this guy. Alex Hammond, did he do anything He's the killer. Else? Oh, okay. That's, that's why he's highlighted. Okay. All, all the rest of these people are not, like, yeah. big name people at all. Um, uh, we definitely get, like, ugly uh, John Travolta in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know which character he is either. Um, Lou. Lou, David yeah. David Mucci. David Mucci. Casey Stevens is Nick McBride. He's like the male, like, I guess he would be, he's the prom king, so yeah, he would the be love the, interest. Yeah, the love interest. Oh, he's in Half-Baked, which Ben made me watch, and I really <laughs> didn't like it. Uh, it's not a great movie, so, I mean, to each their own, if you like Half-Baked, but I'm not a huge fan of it. He made uh, me watch that and Friday. He was like, but Friday's a classic. I'm like, no, I get it, but I really don't need to watch both of these movies. I actually you. like, I like Friday. Everybody um, likes Friday. Yeah. Um, like apparently Casey Stevens, like, didn't do anything either, um, after this. Yeah, no one went on to do anything. Yeah, not really. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but they, the thing I, this cast is, they look different, which is nice. Oh, yeah, um, totally. It's such a weird thing, all these 80s movies, Ryan and I have such a hard time, because I swear to God, every single character looks exactly the same. They all have the same hair color and hairstyle, and I'm like, wait, who is that? And this one, not only do the actors genuinely, like, look different, but I love, it's so simple, but it's so effective. The film starts as them as kids, right? It's only four characters, so they're really making it easy for me and my, you know, hormonal brain right now. It's only four kids, but then as we see them later and we're first introduced to them and they're getting called by the killer, they show them as kids. And I'm like, oh my god, thank you. Because I so often feel like I have to rewind, get the name of the kid, and be like, okay, that's Kelly. And then be like, okay, so that's that girl. She is one of the girls who was... We had to do that with Valentine. Yeah. Like, like, and, you know, like, we like that movie, but there was definitely, like, especially because, like, one of the characters, like, has a whole storyline about how they're different looking. And so it's like, which character was she again? Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciated that, too. No, I really liked that. It's simple, but it makes it easy well and it's nice too because like yeah it's like you said you know like we grew up in an era of the cw slasher so it's all these like really traditionally attractive people and like these people are all attractive too but they're all very different sizes and shapes and Mm -hmm. like look very different all the women i think are attractive a lot of the men are just not not good looking the the love interest he's fine no yeah casey nick mcbride's fine um but like the i mean you get past the 80s perm yeah but like the the like the short guy that the girl loses her virginity to could not get over that guy at all i think he was supposed to be oh yeah i think he had to be yeah um and then like the weird like drunk janitor like that they purposely like tape his glasses up i'm like what's happening here um, it's a whodunit, it's a teen scream, it's a ho- quote-unquote holiday slasher, like you said, you know, cashing in on that Halloween mm-hmm. craze. I, I feel like, I feel like when Halloween came out, all the studios had to be like, fuck what holiday's taken already. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like, they, it seri- like, seriously, in a matter of four years, they were all gone. Yeah. Like, everything had been done. 
and like Christmas had been done like eight times, yes. like different names. So it's just like they were reaching for anything. Graduation. Oh, that's a holiday. Birthday. Oh, yeah, birthday. Yeah, that's a holiday. April Fool's Day. Yep. It was so Friday the thirteenth. That's kind of a holiday. Yeah, prom, yeah. kind of a holiday. We get all of these, and then Halloween's like literally never touched again. Yeah, I know. Every you'll hear us talk about it again in October. Us trying to find fucking Halloween slashers. It's almost impossible. Instead, we get mischief night and mischief night. <laughs> yeah, that's and blood night. Is that? I think that was Halloween too. Um, yeah, well, yeah. It was mischief night, blood night, or what? No, blood night. The one bloody night, blood night, Mary, Mary, bloody hatchet. Mary. Yeah, <laughs> it was a mischief night. Oh yeah, yeah. that. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, okay. So God, we've covered a lot of mischief nights, <laughs> um, but in the whodunit like super plays into the the kind of giallo themes of this too. Um, there's there's like two suspects really, but yeah. like there's two suspects, but could potentially be like one of the students, right? Um, but there's never I never feel like those students are like super red herrings. It's more that janitor and then the like convict escaped that escapes. convict. Yeah, yeah, those are your two like suspects where you're really like okay, so is it one of them? And then just knowing that it's you just know it's somebody who knows that they killed mm-hmm. uh, Robin. And um, it ends up being Alex Hammond. So it's the brother, the younger brother of uh, Robin um, and the brother of the still still living sister, Kim. Um, yeah, who is older. You see her um, come when they identify the body. You see her and Alex as a kid yeah. who we saw earlier and knew he he comes with Robin and says, "I'm not. they don't want to play with you. I'm not going to wait for you. And he leaves. Um, and it turns out he comes back. Yeah. And so he sees that um, his sister's been killed. Um, but later his mother um, comes to identify the body and we see um, him and um, Kim there. And so then we flash forward and realize that here they are older. Their father's the principal. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a solid motive. I mean, it's your yeah. classic revenge tale, which mm-hmm. I'm super on board with, especially yeah. when it's like familial. It makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Um, you know, like, I think they do a pretty good job at not letting you know it's him. Um, I mean, he has some, like, off-putting behavioral stuff, but it's mostly when it comes to, like, his sister. Yeah. Um, so it's understandable. So I don't think it's, like, super obvious that it's him. Um. No, not at all. Yeah, which I I enjoy. I think when it gets to the end, you're just like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, one of those things. Because he's even, like, you see him at the prom. He's, like, helping DJ. So, like... You know, they do a good job of, like, kind of dancing around, like, oh, could it be him? Um, so, it super makes sense. Um, yeah, I totally, totally under, understand it. And there, obviously, there's that scene, like Bio was saying at the end, like, that's how her, his sister realizes it's him, is he's wearing the mask, but she sees his eyes. Yeah. And obviously, she knows her brother. So, like, she realizes it's him. And when you watch it knowing... Um, that whole final scene, I mean, he completely ignores his sister the whole time. Yeah. So if it, and, and that's such an obvious thing, but you don't, besides the fact that it could be somebody who like really doesn't care about her because they just want the people who killed Robin. Right. So. Uh, it's got a body count of eight, uh, five total by our killer because our first death is obviously Robin. Um, she falls out of the second story window while they're playing this weird fucking game called, yeah. like, I'm the killer or you're yeah. the killer. Basically, you know, Robin and her siblings come across, like, this abandoned warehouse. 
um, where these kids are playing this game where like one of them walks around and they're like I'm the killer and it's basically hide and seek but like for some reason they're saying I'm the killer or you're the killer I I can't remember which one now Um, but she goes in and like kind of forces herself into the game but they don't want to play with her and they corner her and like it's all four of these kids just like cornering her like up against the window chanting like I'm the killer I'm the killer and then she falls out of the window um, and dies and then our like main mean girl is the one who convinces all of them, um, and that is Wendy. Wendy, yeah, who's like, nope, the cops are going to not know it's an accident. They're going to think we pushed her. We can't tell anybody. And I'm like, what fucking ten year old thinks that way? Yeah, and then the like, cops are like, I thought this part was a little weird. The cops are like, they assume it's sexual in nature. Yeah, they say they say that they're like, oh yeah, it looks like uh, this happened sexual in nature. I'm like, what what? Yeah, and also really weird that at the crime scene, Leslie Nielsen's just upstairs in the warehouse, like looking down at his daughter's body. I was like, um, why are you? Who let you in there? Yeah, all that is like kind of weird. I was like, uh, all right. I mean, I don't really think ten year olds would be like, yeah, we can't tell because the cops and like pretty crazy that they kept that secret but whatever it works for the plot so. yeah it's and so it's, it's wendy nick wendy's like the pretty girl nick is the homecoming king um jude uh, and kelly lynch those are our main characters those are not main characters well they are main yeah. characters but those are the four um that are essentially killed robin accidentally yeah. And then a nurse was killed. That's the, we hear that in story. That's our like escaped convict Leonard Murch. He kills a nurse with a glass shard. Yeah. So which alludes to our cover. Right, and so a lot of this movie is. I um, like I was texting B because I watched it not long before we podcasted, and I like the movie, but I kind of when I had a long day, I have to wake up early, work at Starbucks, you know. But I kept falling asleep because it it's a slow build up. Like, once they the get to the dance... The first kill is 55 minutes in. Yeah. So once they get to the dance, yeah. it moves pretty quickly. And it's also exciting. Like, and not just the kills. Like like we said, the, that dancing is super yeah. enjoyable and fun. Yeah, and you know the characters. I think what works is that at that point, you've spent 15 minutes with these characters. You do actually get a chance to know them. Mm-hmm. And so um, you find it more interesting at the end because you're not like, wait, what? Where? Who are these people in the van? Who's this? Which is a common problem in slashers where you're just like, wait, what's happening? Who are these people? Instead, we actually have had some established time with them. It takes them a little long to get there, and it would have been nice to have, like, a kill sprinkled, but we're limited. There's only four people he's really chasing after. We get a bonus kill of Lou. Right. Because um, he is an asshole and should die, but... Yeah, and, like, I think part of it, too, is, like, what, you say, what you're saying is right. Like, we get to spend time with these characters and actually learn who they are, especially our main character, which is nice, um, because that's our final girl. But there are, like, there's certain, like, scenes that, like, nothing even, like, there's really weird scenes. I feel like 80s, 70s and 80s movies, like, when Wendy just flashes the gardener guy, mm-hmm. like, sh- like, oh, that's who shows her butt. She mm-hmm. shows, she flashes, like, that scene... Or even kind of, like, kind of the scene where, like, they break the mirror in the locker room. Like, mm-hmm. no, like I'm, nothing really happened with all of that. Like, I think it's just supposed to be suspense. Like, yeah. they're being stalked. And they could have done that. I think that is something they could have done better. They could have done more. The phone calls were great. Very Black mm-hmm. Christmas. Yeah. Um, they could have done more with 
um, Alex actually stalking them. Yeah, because there's that scene like Wendy opens her locker and there's the picture in there and she's like, who did this? And like, but the, it's literally squashed in like 10 seconds and she's like, you guys are assholes and she just leaves and then like there's that scene in the locker room where the where the mirror yeah, is shattered. Where but they like, get spooked, but there's yeah. not much, yeah, there's not much happening. So, um, that's, that was like my only qualm with the movie really is it's mm-hmm. a slow build up. Mm-hmm. Um, but once they get to the dance, everything's actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelly is the first one to die, so she is, um, she's trying to have, well, no, she's hooking up with a guy in the locker room, and he won't, she won't have sex, and, of course, men are the worst, (laughs) and this motherfucker is like, if you won't, I find someone who will. Right. So he gets up and leaves, and then, like, she thinks he's coming back, um, and her killer sneaks up on her, and this is kind of, like, our iconic weapon, even though it's not the one he uses the whole time, but it's, like, a jagged mirror, um, that's what he's holding in the poster, and he slits her throat with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the throat, you hear it, because it's this. It's all in slow motion, um, which is the only one that does it. For but like it goes into slow motion, and he grabs her from behind, and then it cuts to like her chin up, and you hear the throat slash, um, but you don't actually see anything. Yeah. Um, which is it was it's a just focused weird. on her eyes yeah um but yeah. like it's an effective kill because like yeah. we see her face it's happening we see her fall over um the second kill in the movie is i thought the scene as a whole is my favorite scene yeah um it's um jude is having sex um with uh, seymour um that was her date that's the kind of goofy looking guy yeah in a van and um the killer is stalking them um, and this whole scene just is really funny too because they're like out in the woods and they're like let's do it out in the woods they're in the van and then mm-hmm. they're like let's do it in the woods and then they go out in the woods and they're like let's let's go back to the van yeah they changed their mind go back to the van yeah which I like because it's actually it what there's two things that happen here it plays against slasher tropes because also slasher tropes haven't super existed yet but like they're not the stupid kids who go out in the woods they hear something and they're like let's go back and also it's really funny because the male is the one who's like I don't want to be out here. Let's yeah. go back to the van instead of, like, the female. Yeah, it was her idea to go out. She's yeah. Like, oh, this will be fun. And she even goes, why? And then he's like, um, because they hear something. And he goes, well, I want to smoke a joint. She's like, oh, yeah, we can smoke a joint. And I just thought it was funny because it, like, totally plays against traditional, like, slasher roles, um, which I, I just thought was fun. And then they're in the van, and she's smoking. And this seems super cool. She's smoking up against the back door. The killer opens the back door. She falls over, sees him, and he just starts stabbing her in the throat. Uh, and I, this is, like, I, I'd say the first time we really get a good look at the killer because it's also outside lighting. Um, this outfit. So he is wearing gloves. I can't tell if they're leather. He has a ski so. mask, but it's glitter, yeah, which it's I sparkly. love. I really love that it's, like, a sparkly ski mask. And he's like, you can just tell he's not fit. Like, no. he's he's kind of pudgy. No, it's my favorite. It's actually a killer that looks like... I don't know who played him. I don't know if it is the actor who played Alex. But he's small. Yeah. Like, it's not some big, jacked-up person trying to play this smaller actor. Which is, as you guys know, I talk about it anytime that happens. It really bugs me. Like an urban um, legend. Yeah, like an urban legend. It's this huge person in a ski mask and it's tiny-ass Rebecca Gayhart. No. I'm sorry, that's not how that works. Um, and same, like, most likely to die. Our killer is much bigger and more ominous because he's played by the jacked person in the film and not the actual killer, who is a small guy. Yep. Um, so this is great. He's wearing what I would call, like, 
um, a theater. Yes. Like the the guys. Like the leotard almost. Yeah, like yep. the guys who work like um, behind the scenes in theaters. Um, I can't think of the name. Um, I know exactly what you're talking but about. But like, like, yeah, people the ones who like move the props. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. wear like all black. That's what he's wearing. Yeah. yeah. This is the theater guy. Yeah, it's great. And then this whole scene is really great too because it's ridiculous. Um, like Slick is about to get like he's like. He's about to get away, and one thing I really like about our killer in this, he runs consistently. Like, he's constantly chasing after people. He jumps onto the car. He's swinging off the side of the car. Um, The car gets stuck in the mud. He opens the door. He gets in the van. The only thing I do not like about this scene is basically (laughs) Slick drives off of Ravine, and the van explodes on contact with the first thing it touches. Yeah. Like, literally burst into a giant ball I shouted to my husband, I'm like, that doesn't happen, right? And he's like, no, that doesn't happen. I'm like, okay. Yeah, so that was the only part I don't like, because it's a super fun scene leading up to that, and then it's like, it Explosion. Does, yeah, like like, and I'm talking. This van goes off like maybe five feet, yeah. like, and it hits a rock, and it's like <laughs> massive explosion. Yeah. Um. The another trivia I found is like the set production guy stole that van. It's a stolen van. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Wendy is our next one. She's the kind of like preppy girl, the kind of like mean girl. Um, and she actually almost gets away from the killer because she's hiding, but she stops into a storage closet and she finds the body of, um, I think... The first girl. Yeah, the fr- it's it's Kelly, not Jude. Yeah. yeah, so she finds the body of Kelly and screams, and because of that, the killer finds her and he axes her four times. Yeah, and that's our first and our only, like, big stock scene where he there's a big chase scene. It's really well done. Yeah, it's very, like, cat and mouse, and yeah. they're running through the high school, and they're going through, like, different areas, and she's like... I and mean, I, I think it pays tribute a little, a little bit to the hide-and-seek game in the original, or in the in the beginning of the movie a little bit, too. Yeah, and I can kind of see, like, our favorite kill on Prom Night. Um, I can kind of see where it's oh, it's yeah. maybe took some inspiration from this kill. Um... um but- we get a bonus kill next. So basically, like, they have this... Wendy and Lou had this big plan. They were going to mess with um, Jamie Lee Curtis. What's... I keep forgetting Kim. Uh, um, they were going to mess with Kim and with uh, Nick, I think his name is. Sorry, mm-hmm. these names are also... Yeah, Nick. So they were basically going to, like, Lou was going to replace Nick um, and walk out with, I think, Wendy. Um, like, they were going to be prom king. And, like, prom electrocute king. her crown or something, right? Do something with her crown. They were going to, yeah, do something with her crown. So he, he manages, because Wendy's dead, so she doesn't mess with Kim at all. So um, he manages to get Nick out of the way. Um, and while he's standing there waiting to go out, the killer, who thinks it is Nick, comes up behind him and decapitates him. Um, this is definitely, like, our bloodiest kill, because uh, his rolled-out head... <laughs> His head rolls out onto the stage. And, of course, like, I love it because you can tell that it's, like, him standing under the stage because his head is, is like, you know, that classic, like, his head's up there. But it's all bloody and he's all, like, dead-looking, you know? He's all dead-eyed and... Well, it's awesome that they didn't... They were able to film it that way and not do, like, a freaking fake-ass... Yeah, it's great that it's not a fake head. And then, like, it's it's cool, too, because it's, like, a stage. So there's these, like, flashing disco lights all around him. And it, I loved that scene, too, because the kids all notice what's happening and start screaming. And the teacher just goes, don't panic. Don't panic. I'm like, who the fuck would not panic in this situation? Yeah. Uh, and that leads to our climax. Um, Kim manages to save Nick. Um, and, like, there's kind of, like, this final showdown. And she hits her own brother in the head with an axe. 
um, before realizing it's him. And he runs out, and the cops are like, I'm going to shoot him, and she tells them not to because she knows it's her brother, uh, but it doesn't matter because he's yeah. dying anyways. Yeah. Uh, so he dies then, in her arms. Yeah, and that's literally how it ends with her just holding him. Um, it's really sad. It's very tragic because yeah. she has witnessed the death of both of her siblings. Yeah, and it's a it's a sympathetic killer, which is not something we usually get. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, he, he's not super malicious or evil, really. Like He's just going after the people who, although I guess Seymour is a bonus kill, too. That's yeah. not one of the original people. But even um, Seymour, he doesn't technically kill. Yeah, it's an accident. It is an yeah. accident, yeah. Um, so it's not even counted on his... Um, on his kill count. On his kill count. Um, yeah, which, I mean, I like that. Because even, like, with Pamela Voorhees, I mean, you can see he might be, like, sympathetic, but she's not really. Um, she just seems like a crazed mom. Yeah, And yeah. you're sympathetic for what happened to Jason, but I don't think you feel a lot of sympathy for Pamela. Where in this case, I feel like you feel a lot of sympathy for him because you get. I think the difference is you get to know him as a character. Right. First. Yeah. There's scenes in the movie where, he, like, he's very doting over his sister. Um, Lou messes with Jamie Lee with Kim earlier in the movie, and like, also Alex beats all sort of ass in that scene. There's a scene where Lou comes up wearing a ski mask and like forces um, Kim to kiss him, and Alex fights three guys at mm-hmm. once, and like before he's finally yeah. taken down by Lou. And I was like, when that scene happened, I was like, damn, dude, he, like, kicked ass. Yeah, I know. That was, like, one of my notes about the film is, like, you can definitely tell the time that this came out because nothing was addressed about the fact that he was physically accosting her um, really inappropriately. He made her um, kiss him. Yeah. yeah. It's extremely inappropriate and violating. But it just came down to, like, oh, these guys got in a fight, and that's it. Like, oh, you're suspended because you were fighting, not because you were, you know, being physically um, abusive to this woman. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you can just s- s- tell yeah. the time from it. Yeah, there's a little bit of... But, I mean, that's how it was then. Yep. So, I that was mean, the era. Yeah. So it makes sense. But, yeah, I think I'm glad that you we rewatched this, and it kind of... Because I always remember liking it. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I, I just remember not liking it. Yeah. And I just... I don't... I guess maybe I... I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just so slow in the beginning that I tuned out by the end. Um, but obviously I have a lot more patience than I used to, too, with movies. Yeah. Um, Kim is our final girl, Jamie Lee Curtis. She's okay. She's... Yeah. She, I She's mean... She's really likable. Super likable. Um, because, partially because Jamie Lee. Yes, exactly. Um, She's also... She is brave. She doesn't have a real arc, I'd say. No, it really isn't until the final scene that she gets really any kind of, like, action because she's not involved. The killer's not interested in her. Yeah. So it's a very different situation for, like, a typical final girl. She's a final girl because he doesn't want to kill her. If anything, Kelly has more of, like, a final girl situation with, like, the stalking and her fighting back and she just doesn't survive. And also she's extremely horrible. Yeah. Oh, Wendy. Or Wendy. Yeah, yeah, Kelly's the first one who dies. Yeah, Wendy. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Like, it would almost feel like Wendy is more of a final girl. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, like, again, like, Jamie Lee, there's a reason that she did so well in these movies. It's because she has a lot of charisma, and she, like, you gravitate towards her very easily because there's just something about her. Um, so she's super likable. And she's also, like, even in the scene, there's really only one scene where she is even sort of involved and it's when the mirror is shattered in the locker room and she immediately investigates. She's like, she's bold throughout the movie. There's no like, uh, earning the courage or anything. She, no. she just has it. Um, so she's, 
she is a solid final girl. She's just like this movie spent so much time like with so many different characters. You just don't get a lot more depth with her than with anyone else. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite kill? Um, I think I like the van kill the best just because I like how it was filmed. Um, I love that the back door opens, you yep. see him fully, and then you just start stabbing her in the throat. You don't necessarily see that, but mm-hmm. the aftermath of her is great. The blood looks great. Her throat, the holes in her throat look good. Yeah. Um, so, but I think, honestly, I think all the kills are solid in this one. Um, there's not a lot of them, and we don't see a lot of gore, but the way that they're done, um, they're done well. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Um, and the van kill is also my favorite. They're, it's very sudden which I like. Um, I mean, like, that door opens, she falls back, and he is up and plunging into her neck immediately. Yeah. Um, and like you said, we we don't see a lot, but um, I have to give credit to our director, um, Paul Lynch, because even though we don't see a lot of the actual, like, gore, um, everything feels vicious and savage. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that our killer is, like, up and down with the knife, uh, or the mirror, um, and... And even, like, the face that's made when Kelly is, um, her throat is slit. Like, it's it's all done very, like, viscerally, and it feels very, like, raw and kind of violent. Uh, but that is definitely my favorite kill. Yeah. Um, so, it's, uh, like, its status in the horror, like, in the horror world, it's definitely still a cult movie. Um, I'd say it's, you know... It's not curtains, <laughs> but but it's not my bloody Valentine either. Yeah. Uh, much more famous because of Jamie Lee. Yeah. Um, you know, like because she was just. I would. It's if we're ranking Jamie Lee, you know, it's Halloween, The Fog, This Terror Train. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's where it would fall. So, uh, as far as like notoriety and being well known, and this is our thirty eighth movie. So if you guys are following along, if you go to keepstreaming.com slash the dash list. We do rank our movies uh, at the end of every episode, and it is not a ranking of favorites. It is not a ranking, really, of even, like, best, per se. Um, it is a ranking of how B and I think it fits in with with slashers, with slasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this will be our 38th movie. Number one is still My Bloody Valentine from 1981, and number 37 is April Fool's Day. Um, we're going to make this quick because B's baby is Yeah, crying. I gotta go. Yeah, so I'm going to say... Right around, I think it's better than Happy Birthday to me. Mm-hmm. But is it better than Most Likely Today? No. So we're going to rank it as our new, we would normally get more in depth, but we got a crying baby, so it's going to be our yeah. new number 18, um, right after Most Likely to Die, right above Happy Birthday to me. Yeah. Fills a lot of slasher tropes, but it's lacking in quite a few. Yes. Um... um and we will break it down a little bit more in the next episode yeah. just so you guys have some more fill-in on that. Um, but we got a baby to attend to, and thanks for you know being understanding of that as well. Yes. We'll be back in two weeks. We do have some summer movies picked out because we're about to head into summer. Woo. It's one of our favorite seasons. And I think we are finally going to tackle some Texas Chainsaw this year. So we will be back in two weeks, and until then, keep screaming. That is says, I'm starving. Bye.